really what I want to do is I want to kind of democratize the workspace and where we work, how we work. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Hello and welcome to Inspiring Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Terry Lepofsky, and we have a really cool interview lined up for you. Today, we're talking about entrepreneurial leadership with Eric McRae. By definition, an entrepreneur is someone who organizes and operates a business and takes on greater than normal financial risk to do so. Well, my guest today is the quintessential entrepreneur. I first met Eric when I was searching for office space, and I came across the most amazing workspace I'd ever seen. My Byword Office is a shared office workspace located in the historic and scenic center of Ottawa, Canada's national capital. As soon as I walked in, I knew I wanted to work there. Eric, the founder and CEO of My Byword Office, has created a fun, stylish environment that's a pleasure to work in. Since then, he's expanded his space and now includes an incredible group and event workspace, which organizations can rent out when they need it. He's capitalizing on this new trend towards home-based workers and a dispersed workforce. He's actually helping other entrepreneurs by providing them with the space needs that they have as they scale up their own startup businesses. The concept of shared workspaces isn't new, but I'll tell you the environment that Eric's creating is very distinct. His workspaces, and I'll use my own words on this, they've got both mojo and pizzazz and they're wrapped in a layer of cool. It's all about the experience with Eric Spaces. He has a passion for what he does and a real knack for it as well. And this is why I wanted to have Eric on Inspiring Leaders, so more people could hear his message and find out how he's become a successful entrepreneurial leader. Eric, welcome to Inspiring Leaders, my friend. Terry, it's an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Before we get rolling with things, I always ask a question to everybody who comes on this show. What leader has inspired you and why? Oh, wow. And I think um, easily I can say the most inspiring leader for myself is someone who lived a long time ago. And it would be Frederick Douglass, actually. Frederick Douglass. I haven't heard that name. Yeah, he's uh, he's a gentleman who lived uh, quite a while ago. He was uh, born a slave in North America. He essentially had the vision and creativity and drive and compassion that I aspire to have. He emancipated himself and he went from being a slave. He he, he actually tricked the master's son into teaching him how to read because <laughs> he realized that education and reading and knowledge was key to him being able to communicating ideas and, and held a certain amount of power in the world. And by the end of his life, he had accomplished the most incredible things. He was an ambassador to Haiti. He was one of the first African-American people invited into the White House. And he was a major figure in the abolitionist movement. Wow, you know how to pick the leaders, don't you? <laughs> wow. He was also engaged in the women's rights, human rights. And he saw that there was an equity and a balance that needed to be asserted in society. So he saw issues far beyond the massive issues that his people were facing. 
and was able to be compassionate enough and empathetic enough to be able to see the issues that others were facing and try to help them as well. Uh, you know what? I've got goosebumps just hearing you talk about this. Yeah, he's, I'm gonna he's have a pretty to go, amazing man. Yeah, I'm going to have to go hit Wikipedia afterwards and see if I can find out more. This sounds very good. You've launched and you're managing some of the coolest office space I've ever seen, and I can't imagine this has been an easy path for you. Your uh, locations are in very desirable, very expensive neighborhoods. Can you give us a glimpse into what it is that has led you to this path? Maybe some of your leadership philosophies, your entrepreneurial philosophies, and maybe even a snapshot into what's coming in the future of Eric McRae. So for myself, I was uh, I, I kind of vacillated between being an entrepreneur when I was very young, worked in arts. I was an animator. Then I moved to uh, Halifax, went to school there at Dalhousie. When I moved to Ottawa uh, and I kind of started my career, I went into a very corporate direction where I was building and designing service desks and service operations for large companies. And over the last eight or nine years, I kind of flipped back and forth between the corporate career and entrepreneurship. And I tried different ventures over the, over the years. And eventually I was able to I got to a point where I realized that I was I needed to just exclusively pursue entrepreneurship and I dedicated all of my time and energy towards it. I needed to focus in terms of what I was passionate about and what I loved to do. As I was doing that, I had a couple of businesses that I was running and I was looking for space. As I was looking for space, I went to other shared workspaces and co-work spaces. I saw kind of, at least in the Ottawa market, kind of two extremes. There was one where you were working on surplus government furniture from the 1980s or <laughs> inexpensive IKEA furniture. Yeah, I mean, there's really nice IKEA stuff out there too. I have a lot of it, but you know they're different grades. Or you had very expensive, beautiful corporate. I describe it as beige on beige boardrooms. <laughs> I think I've been in those places. Yeah, absolutely. We all have, and the two offered very different experiences. The the funky, trendy, cool kind of spaces for me lacked a degree of professionalism and, if I can use the term, curation. They, there wasn't a lot of deliberate thought into terms of how people actually worked in the space. They just threw a lot of cool stuff, put some wood on the walls and turned on some Wi-Fi and said, there you go. Let's wow. get to um, And the people that had attracted and worked there. I didn't find I had a lot of a kinship to because for myself, I was a professional in what I did. I had, you know, you know, 15 years of experience in operations management and the individuals I was sitting next to, they were, you know, great, creative, dynamic people, but they weren't going to be able to challenge me and evolve what I was doing. On the flip side, I went to some of the more corporate larger spaces. And when I saw those, there were the people I was sitting next to were absolutely professionals, but they were, I guess, set in the way of doing things they'd always done it. They weren't willing to innovate. The way that it worked worked today, and they asserted that it would work for perpetuity. They, they were always going to be able to do what they were doing today. And I didn't believe that to be true. I think there's a natural evolution to how we work and play. And when I realized I wasn't able to find those two, and I realized, okay, maybe that's my opportunity. Maybe that is what I need to create. If it doesn't exist, then that's something that needs to exist. Oh, there's the entrepreneurial bit coming out right there, right? Yeah. With that, I, I divested probably about a year and a half of time research, educating myself about uh, work habits, work styles, uh, needs of workspaces, functions, space design. 
created a business plan and a structure on how this this business was going to operate and work. Uh, this is not uh, cheap space here. You're talking about the most desirable location. How in the world did you ratchet up that way? <laughs> I took a lot of time knocking on a lot of do- doors, t- talking to a lot of random people to actually find the spaces that I did. You know, I had about five spaces in, in Ottawa right now. For each single one of them, I probably had to speak to about 100 people. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know, 98 of them said no to me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, you know, I had a, a lot of uh, no's as I kind of went along my path because what I was proposing hadn't been done before. And a lot of people didn't buy into the idea and the concept. I was very fortunate with the landlord that I found. He saw the vision. And I think more than that, he saw my passion for what I was going to do. And he estimated that if he was going to bet on my success and my drive, he figured that if anyone was going to be able to do it, I would, because I was pretty driven and focused in terms of what I wanted. Not only are you one of the happiest guys I've ever met, (laughs) you've always got a smile. You've always got a joke. You're very welcoming and very, very positive. But to me, it's the passion for what you do. You really care deeply about exactly what you do for other people. Absolutely. And I, I think that's uh, that was a part that was very natural and easy for me. I have always, whenever I've worked in corporate spaces and businesses, I, you know, I would always say that the people come first. Businesses rarely have loyalties to individuals. So you have to be loyal to the people that work within those businesses. For me, when I looked at developing my audience and, you know, as they, you know, a trendier term today would be your tribe. That was one of the things that I wanted to do was I I instinctively was loyal and committed and invested in the audience that I was working with. You know, I, I focused in terms of people like myself, people who are creative professionals, people who enjoyed being in creative dynamic spaces, enjoyed innovating in terms of the way that we work and think, willing to challenge it. And also had an appreciation for quality and, and took a lot of pride in the work that they did. I have to say, I've, I've always drawn a bit of a parallel between you and Steve Jobs. This uh, background that you've got in art and design and bringing that into your work and that crossroads between the liberal arts and uh, in industrial design, I think you bring that forward in the workspaces that I've been in. And uh, you really seem to have a knack for something that other people find not only pleasing, but actually something they want to be part of. That is, um, that's an interesting, interesting observation. Thank you very much for the Steve Jobs Association. That's, uh, that's one I don't know if I'm going to be able to live up to immediately, but I appreciate it. Well, you look just like him too. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Steve Jobs is certainly somebody that I listen to. And there are quite a few designers that that I've kind of I've modeled myself and my work after. I took very considered thought into how space is used, how it functions and what the at what point does adding additional things only further distracts you from your objectives, knowing that tipping point. It allows you to kind of self-edit in terms of when is it when is it too much? You allow yourself to kind of be informed by your emotional response to it and also the tactical outcomes of that interaction. So when I look at spaces, I do a combination of woods, metal, glass, and fabrics so that you have a variety of textures, colors, and palettes uh, that allow people to be able to come into the space and feel comfortable in the space that they're in. 
So as you move through any individual space that I have, you'll probably find three to four different palettes that you can work with. And people will instinctively be drawn to the one that they feel most comfortable and productive in. Right. If yeah. it's something that they, they like having a large, white, clear surface to be able to focus their mind, then they can have that un- uninterrupted by the visuals of people in front of them. If a person needs that social energy, they may sit towards the middle of the room where they can look over the rest of the room and have more of an organic or wood feel to be able to connect them. The other thing that I find that's amazing about your workspaces is the sense of community. People genuinely like going to these spaces and they interact. They meet other people from other walks of life, other professions, other industries. There truly is this little uh, community sense that gets created. Uh, so the sense of community is is a tricky one because you talk about like leadership and design and how you create that. I had a very stubborn assertion of an idea of what I thought the value of that space meant and how I wanted to work. And when you have that very clear, resounding idea, that can be a great thing because it can lead to innovation and it can lead to change. It can also be a very dangerous thing because you can lose sight of what the value is that you're actually providing to your audience. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, So, you you know, when I was kind of curating and adding clients and customers, I had I had to edit those individuals that were truly my customers, the people that truly fit the and had the philosophies and ideologies that I did. It is a challenging thing to do when you have hundreds of thousands of dollars tied up in an investment and you need to get somebody to pay (laughs) just to financially sustain you. But despite that, I had to continue to edit the individuals that I welcomed into the space. What do you mean edit those people? There is a way to communicate what the value, nature, and uh, the emotional awareness that you have when you're working in a group. People that don't naturally fit into that paradigm will feel uncomfortable. It won't be the right fit. Right. If somebody is used to a very corporate, I wear a shirt and tie every day, and you know I'm used to sit, sitting in a beige on beige cubicle, and that's where I'm most comfortable. When they come into the space, they will not naturally feel comfortable in my space, and I know that because it's been specifically designed that way. And I did that through the design and through how I communicate the words that I use, the content on my website, and the individuals that I have in the space. So I've had great A-list clients, but they don't stay because it's not the right fit for them. And it's not that they're bad. It's just, it's a different audience. What's down the road for Eric? What's down the road for the business that you've created? Uh, So for myself, I'm now at the point where I've, I think I've been able to evaluate what the business value is, what my clients are, what the proposition is and how the actual model works. So when I first started, I started with a very simple kind of a stripped down model of the business. And I allowed the my audience and my people that were coming into the space to actually inform how they wanted to use the space. And I have modified the business to that extent where now it works really optimally for that audience and for the people that use it. Now, the next thing for me is to actually start to grow that business a bit further, which is my objective over the next year and a half to expand into other locations. Because really what I want to do is I want to kind of democratize the workspace and where we work, how we work by allowing people to be able to access great services consistently, seamlessly in a location that's convenient to them. 
Sounds like a pretty bright future. Even though you started by limiting what you were doing and focusing, you're now figuring out how you can make it even better than it is. Yeah, and I, I know that's really kind of the the objective in the long term. When I was building this out, I really needed to take a moment and do probably three key things. Consider what counsel I had, who I was listening to, who was providing the advice, and whether or not it was valuable, or that the individual that was giving me the advice actually had experience in that field. The next thing was to listen to my clients and understand what their needs were and how I could service them, understanding that there were sometimes things that I couldn't do for them because it didn't fit into my bigger objective. And then also uh, communicating your ideas with some integrity. You've got to be able to clearly communicate those things in both your actions, words, um, your written communication, so that people have a very clear understanding of what it is that you do and how you do it. And if when they see that information, they'll either buy into it or they won't. And that's what we were talking about with the self-editing. You've kind of set me up really well for the last couple of questions that I like to try to finish on. What challenges do you see facing many of today's leaders? Probably the biggest challenge that people will face today for most leaders is the pivot edit kind of methodology that people seems to be very pervasive in business. Not as much in the corporate space, but definitely in the small to medium enterprise where people have tried to adopt the methodology and principles of scalable startups to all different types of businesses. And I don't know that that is necessarily something that is appropriate. You know, when you're dealing with technology-based companies that have are going to be looking at adoption of millions of users, it makes perfect sense right. uh, to kind of take that kind of a business model or a business strategy to your business development. But people have used those buzzwords and themes to try to evolve and evaluate their business. And I think they've kind of lost sight of just creating value and having valuable communication with their clients by shaking hands and talking to people, having valuable conversations, understanding what the value is that they bring and understanding what their what the needs are of their customer. Coming a bit of a lost art, isn't it? It really is. Um, you know, I think people rely too much on SEO and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and all of these great tools, and they're fantastic, wonderful tools. But I gives, I think it gives them a very false sense of engagement because you get 50 likes doesn't necessarily mean somebody's going to buy your product or think it has value. Oh, that's good. That's rich. I love that. And you're the master of those interpersonal relationships, Eric. My last question for you is this. What does inspired leadership mean to you? Inspired leadership, uh, if I can speak to it from an entrepreneurial sense, of course. is um, trying to define and understanding what the value is that you bring to your world and whether that is big or small. Entrepreneurs, or when people hear that term today, they see this big, grandiose Google, Bing, YouTube these huge behemoths of organizations that are built within years. And they think that is an entrepreneurship. And it really isn't. It can also be the person who owns a corner store and provides great products and fresh vegetables to their community. And 
makes a living taking care of their family. And so when we think of entrepreneurship, it's about really more about the value that you bring. And there are different levels and different scales of whatever one brings. I know I was speaking on a panel last week and there was a person who I'd certainly refer to as an entrepreneur and in Dr. Sleely, and he works with cancer patients. And that's the value that he brings. And that's fantastic. What I do is I provide great spaces for people to work and be creative. Others may be solving technology problems, but we have to do do that in our own way that is genuine and honest and true to who we are. You're reading my mind, Eric. You really are, because um, one of the reasons that we created this podcast was to showcase inspired leadership in its many forms out there. And yes, there are great leaders up in the big corporations and the Fortune 500 companies, but there are also incredible leaders who do not have a position of authority. There are community leaders, there are entrepreneurial leaders, there are spiritual leaders, there are sport leaders, there are family leaders. And when we start to recognize that there are certain things that these people are doing that they have in common. Part of that is the inspiration that they bring, the passion that they bring to what they do and the expertise that they create. This is exactly what you've done with my Byward office, with everything that I've seen you touch. And my hat's off to you. I just want to thank you for being part of this journey today with Inspiring Leaders. I'm really glad that you've joined us today and shared your message. Listen, if people want to connect with you, Eric, how can they find you? Uh, first of all, Terry, thank you very much. It's an absolute pleasure having this discussion today. And it's a, a topic that I certainly feel very passionate about. So I appreciate the opportunity to kind of have a conversation with you about it. Uh, absolutely exhilarating. To be able to connect with me, uh, easiest way is to just go to my website, mybywordoffice.com. Um, from there, you'll see uh, links to my Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can choose any of those channels. Awesome. That was absolutely excellent. Again, Eric, thank you so much for being here. Much appreciated and looking forward to running into you again in the near future. Thank you again, Terry. Have a great day. Thanks again for being part of our quest to make inspired leadership ubiquitous. Wherever you are, we hope that we've helped to inspire you and that you'll pay it forward by inspiring others. And just a reminder to support us on iTunes, Google, and Stitcher with your ratings and comments. Your support makes a big difference and we sure do appreciate it. Until next time, take care everybody. Bye for now.